You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're here to empower, educate, and encourage women to start talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash it's time. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hi, it's Jean Chatsky, and welcome to Her Money. I'd like everybody listening to do something for me. I'd like you to all just breathe. Let's breathe to a count of four. We're going to breathe in. One, two, three, four. And we're going to breathe out. One, two, three, four. Now do it again. And do it again. And do it again. And and here's why we just have to keep breathing. This is a very volatile time in America. This is the first time that I have been in the studio since the results of the election. There was a lot of talk about the fact that the markets were going to tank, which, by the way, they didn't, at least not until now. There was a lot of talk about increased volatility, which I believe that we will continue to see. There's a lot of talk about all the things that could go wrong and all the other things that could be different about changes in our economy, changes in healthcare, changes in education, different changes. And here's what I know from 25, 30 years of reporting on people and their money. The markets don't like uncertainty. And we are in a period of uncertainty. We are in a period where despite what the fundamentals say, there are just a lot of unknowns out there. And so whenever you're faced with a period like this, the thing to do is, one, focus on your plan. Figure out what are your goals? What are you trying to do with your money? And how long do you have in order to make that happen? And if the answer to that question is a long time, in many, many, many cases, I'd like to say most cases, but I haven't done the actual underlying research to know if most is factually correct in this instance. So I'm going to say many, many, many cases. Doing nothing except continuing to save to put your money to work in your previously chosen portfolio of investments is the right thing to do. Number two, second thing that you want to do, you want to not panic. And I know that that is an absence of an action, but getting yourself to sit still, to just be there throughout the ups and downs, to ride the roller coaster, to turn off the television if that's what it takes for you to sleep at night. That's what you want to do. And number three, you want to breathe. You just want to understand we have experienced so many changes in this country during our short history, and life goes on, people move forward, 
control the things that you can control. And when it comes to your finances, that means saving a little more, spending a little less, investing in a way that makes your money work for you as hard as you are working for yourself, protecting the world that you've built with the right insurance and a basic estate plan, and then doing it all over again. That's what it takes. I know that there are some of you out there who are feeling great about our future, and I know that there are others of you who are feeling terrible about our future, and that's just the way it is in this country. That's just the way, that's the way that it's always been. You're either in agreement with the party that's in power or you're not. And so I want you to breathe and I want you to focus on controlling the things that are actually within your control. We've got a really, really great show for you today. We have been waiting, gosh, months it feels like, to have my friend Barbara Corcoran on the show. Barbara is of course, one of the sharks on ABC's Shark Tank, but I've known Barbara for many years. We spent many, many mornings sitting next to each other in the makeup chairs at the Today Show, and I'm delighted that she is with us today. Hi, Barbara. I love Eugene, as you know, and I'm delighted to be part of your show. You know, I, I'm happy to have you today in particular because I feel like as women, we are feeling a little, and not all women, of course, but many women feeling a little taken aback over the past couple of days. And depressed, yes. Yes. And, and, and that we are going to have to work even harder to make ourselves heard. And you're known for being outspoken. You're known for being honest and tough when necessary. And so as you are talking to women, which I know you do all across the country, what do you say to women who feel like I'm still not being heard? I'm still not breaking this the gender wage gap. I'm still not making the progress that I want to make. How do how do we break through? Well, I think there are two worlds of other uh, business worlds uh, that are very, very different uh, if you're a female. One is in, in a corporate America type role, uh, and the other is when you're in business for yourself. And I feel as though the hardest uh, line to, to pull is when you're in a corporate structure that is typically started by men as a corporation when it got started, mostly uh, directed by men and mostly on the upper echelons worked by men. And so I think uh, the odds on winning going into a corporate structure are very slim. And I think any woman who's successful in it knows she probably works twice as hard as her colleague in the same position to prove how smart she is and to how hard she works. And when she's going home, if she's a mother, uh, she uh, has another whole full-time job uh, to do a great job with her kids. And anyone who's gotten to that position always wants to be an equally fabulous mother. So uh, so in that, in that world, um, I think uh, it's very discouraging. It's hard to say to women, oh, just keep plugging at it. Because what so many women do is they don't get to the glass ceiling or break that glass ceiling in a corporate structure, I believe, because they get wise and they say it ain't worth it. 
All right. And I, and I could empathize with that. In other words, I'm giving up my life. I could barely keep my head above water. I have to work twice as hard as the next guy. And, and is it worth it? And that's why we also see women that get way up there uh, often uh, throw in the towel and decide to change their life. Okay. So for those women, uh, I think the most important thing is to really assess, is it worth it? I know that I'm not trying to discourage people, but is it really worth it? All right. Switching over to the entrepreneur, a woman in business for herself, uh, I feel undeniably it's always worth it because what you have as a woman in business for yourself is you can really choose to, to forget the fact that you're a woman. You can choose to uh, take the world on as any man would and build your own world as you see it, hire the people you want as you wish to, and uh, pursue whatever aggressive goals in whatever manner you want uh, because nobody's telling you you can't or second-guessing uh, you or judging you harshly or not giving you the raise or you're missing the promotion. So you can ruffle feathers. Did you know this when you were – I mean, you started a number of companies. You'd held 20 jobs by the time you were 23. 22. Don't let me lose those two uh, last losers, please. By, by the time you were 23 years old, you turned a $1,000 loan into a $5 billion real estate business by being the entrepreneur, by being the boss. Did you know then what you just described now? No, I had no idea – uh, it was such a lucky break that I went in business for myself. I had no idea at that point that that was so much a better course for me to take, so much a better uh, trajectory. Is that the word? I can mm-hmm. never say it. You know, that the yeah, direction that goes away. Right. Okay. Um, I had no idea, but what I did know instantly is I loved my job for the first time. I liked all my other jobs until the boss told me what to do. And bosses, and whether they be men, which were almost all men, a couple of female bosses in there, but it wasn't about that. It was about someone was dictating my life, and something about that made me dislike them. And they're perfectly, so a boss is allowed to be a boss, but I disliked them for that. And so I instantly knew the day I started my business, and no one telling me what to do, that I was in the right business. I think it could have been plumbing supplies, paper clips. It could have been <laughs> anything. But the fact that I was in charge is what hit home with me. And that was the first time I actually could visualize myself as a huge success. And I did the very first day. I pictured myself as the queen of New York real estate, even though I just answered the phone <laughs> for the first time. But I was the queen. I just started fantasizing about who I could be. And for me, having that visualization was essential for success. And I could have never had it in any other structure other than my own world, my own business. And so, yes, I knew that something great was going to happen. I could taste it. I could see it. And I could almost see myself in a cartoon strip running through life and what I'd be wearing and what I'd be doing and how people would be laughing. And I even pictured myself at one point like the Pope because my mother raised us <laughs> as devout Catholics with lines of people kissing my ring like the Pope had with the white dress on. <laughs> Ridiculous. But for me, that visualization drove me, and I could not visualize until I became the boss. That's a weird thing. And I have since learned that that's true of many entrepreneurs who choose a different path and get away from the corporate structure or or a simple, menial job day in, day out to make ends meet when they go in business for themselves. They get self-inspired is what happens. Do you think some people are born entrepreneurs and other people are really not comfortable on that path? Definitely. I think um, 
I think there are, of course, key uh, attributes uh, that are common to all great entrepreneurs, and I've had a chance to actually prove it by investing in so many of the Shark Tank businesses because I see them repeating themselves, repeating themselves. And ironically, or coincidentally, they're exactly the same traits that repeated themselves in my top salespeople who are earning my real estate brokerage firm two, three million dollars a year when everyone else was earning forty thousand. I'm like, what's the difference? Is it their is it their contacts? They went to the right school. They know the right people. That helped get started, but it certainly didn't determine success. Was it how hard they worked? No. Most of the people I fired because they couldn't make it in sales were my hardest workers. It was painful. Uh, No, I found that uh, the single greatest trait, and without exception, and there's not one of my entrepreneurs uh, that I work with uh, as a result of Shark Tank, not one of my great salespeople that I nurtured over the years at the Corcoran Group, uh, there's not one uh, that didn't have in spades the ability not to feel sorry for themselves. I really think that's what it comes down to because I find that uh, people who are not as successful as entrepreneurs or not natural-born entrepreneurs, uh, when they take a, a hit, they might be okay, take a second, now they're pretty okay. By the third, they go down for for um, uh, almost like, I don't want to say crybaby. It, it sounds too diminishing, but like, oh, God, oh, poor me. Oh, my God. Why did I go there? They second guess. They, they lay low. And I have found that my great entrepreneurs don't know how to lay low. They're like, boom. They almost have a low enough IQ so that they're too <laughs> stupid to lay low. They have to get back up, get back up. So the time it takes to feel sorry for yourself uh, when you're a great entrepreneur is natural to you. Uh, the ability to bounce up. Now, where does that come from? Is it natural born? I don't think necessarily. I think it's groomed by parents and groomed by your circumstance. So if you've had uh, a very, very tough childhood, like my my colleague uh, Damon John uh, from Shark Tank, uh, being raised in a ghetto by a single mom who's a cab driver, remarkable journey. But he had such a rough time that he just got good at being bashed around. You know, I had uh, my great practice uh, not in the same way. Of course, I was in my white ghetto, whereas he was in his black ghetto. But but I had loving parents uh, and two loving parents that really took care of us and myself and my nine siblings. They were doting, wonderful parents. But where I got my ability to bounce back up is because I just couldn't learn to read or write, and I was labeled stupid and made fun of in school. And so I got used to that kind of hardship. So wherever people get their hardship, I think you can nurture that gene. I don't think you're born as a baby. Hey, I can take a hit. The next baby is born. I can't take a hit. No, I don't think it's that way. I think your life experiences and the tough, uh, tough knocks of life uh, really nurtures that in any individual. But if you don't have it, it's very hard to develop for yourself when you're older. I think you can work on it, but intrinsically, you're risk aversive, intrinsically because your parents were, or you don't want to take a chance because you're uncomfortable with it, or you don't like someone insulting you because how dare they insult me when my parents told me I was the greatest thing ever in the whole world. You know, All these things play a factor that determines whether you're apt to be a great entrepreneur or not, or even a a decent entrepreneur, never mind a great one. I think you can learn. I mean, there's there's been a lot of research on resilience, right, and on optimism. And we're born with about half the resilience and half the optimism that we're ever going to get. The other 50% is something that you can cultivate within yourself, but it's something where you really have to put in the effort. And I know that one of the ways that you have advised women to rise to the top of their own businesses or corporations is by really 
playing the gender card, you know, not shying away from mm, the fact the fact mm. that we're women. But before we talk about that, I want to remind everybody, Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments because Fidelity is focused on helping women like all of us take charge of our financial lives. We deserve to live the lives that we work so hard for. So visit fidelity.com slash it's time. You'll find more conversations like this one with Barbara Corcoran. You'll find information about how to manage your money during life's biggest events and most challenging times, whether you're getting married, getting divorced, starting a new career. Again, that's fidelity.com slash it's time. We'll be back with Barbara in just a moment, but first I want to talk to you about Reveal. If you're looking for another podcast, this is definitely one that you should check out. Reveal comes from the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX. It has a team of investigative reporters constantly digging to expose problems that most people know nothing about. Their reporters spend weeks, sometimes months, sometimes years getting to the bottom of a story, and along the way, they come across the most intriguing characters. Sometimes they're good guys, sometimes they're not so good. But by the end, they've revealed what's going on and who's to blame. So check it out. You can find Reveal on your local public radio station or on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or anywhere you download podcasts. We're talking with Barbara Corcoran, and I've spent enough time with you to know that you don't at all shy away from the fact that you're a woman. You you use that to your advantage. Talk to us about that. All that is is good business. Um, the way I look at it, it's nothing to do with male, female, uh, not even what business you're in. What it has to do for me is playing up whatever your strengths are. So if you're phenomenally organized, you'd be judged crazy not to use that organizational ability to build a business. People would say, why are you wasting that? If you're extremely good at motivating people, um, you'd be judged insane if you didn't motivate people, if you're in business for yourself or working for the next guy. Uh, Those are assets you have that you'd use to build not only yourself, but the people around you. So now we go to the female versus male. If you're a good-looking hunk of a guy, muscle-bound, why would you wear a really baggy suit and look like a dump, a dumpy guy? Uh, they don't. Guys that look like that are wear, look really cool. They dress like they, they, they flaunt their stuff, okay? If a guy is very well-spoken and can speak up and almost command attention instantly and overpower the other men around him in any situation – sports field or boardroom, they do it, all right? So now that I've said all of that, if you're a female like myself, and I've got great legs. I mean, I don't have other parts that are missing, <laughs> clearly, <laughs> but my legs are good. <laughs> it runs in my family. And so knowing I had great legs, I always wore short dresses, whether in style or not, so that when I walked into a room, I was noticed. Boom. Oh, wow. Look at her legs. Um I do, did that intentionally. Um, if I'm charming, and I think I am, and I have a quick wit, I think I'm funny, I would just start making people laugh immediately because that's an asset I have, all right? And if I'm persistent, which I'm tremendously, ferociously persistent, I kept showing up, kept showing up because that's an asset I have. So whatever you have, I just think you have to put it front and center and use it. And so it's not about uh, what uh, hiding a female card. No, it's using whatever you've got that's an asset to get to where you want to go, all right? 
and and uh, I don't I just see the, the common sense in that I don't see that as female male or anything it's just common sense to play up whatever you do well and to really use it as often as you could to get yourself ahead you exude confidence. I mean, you just, you radiate confidence, but I know that you've said you battle insecurity on a daily basis. So how Everyone do you... Everyone does. Don't believe when people exude confidence. They've just worked at it harder. That's it. All right. So teach <laughs> us. How do you, how do you, because there's so many of us out there, so many women who have that negative radio playing messages in our head over and over and over again that we're not good enough, we're not likable enough, we're not I mean I could I could just sit here and list things. How did you turn it around? Well uh, you don't turn it around. Uh, life would be too easy that way if it was simply that, but you're spot on. Uh, and I had never heard that expression, the negative radio in your head. Okay, I call it the evil voice in my head. <laughs> it's the evil voice <laughs> talking at you that you're listening to that you got to, like, declare war on. Okay. And so um, I believe uh, the best way to get confidence is to succeed. There's no replacement for it. But success doesn't come with, okay, I, I set out to do this and now I'm a big success. It's not a leapfrog kind of a proposition. It happens inch by inch by inch. But what happens in the inches, I find, are the setbacks. You know, all the setbacks uh, are by an inch. All the push forwards are a few inches forward, a few inches back. I think it's what you do with the pushbacks that create the confidence in the long run because what happens is that actually makes you succeed. So for me, when I was very young, my biggest evil voice in my head was, of course, uh, my lack of confidence uh, that I would succeed in anything because the one thing uh, that I had the experience of my whole life was school. That was it. So until I got my first job at 13, I made the assumption wrongfully uh, that I would probably fail at anything I attempted uh, because the other kids were doing fine and I wasn't. And so that's a really powerful negative voice to come out at 13 just when kids are struggling with their puberty anyway. You know, you don't need that. Pimples are bad enough. But yeah. I think you're a real loser from the get-go. Ain't so good, right? But um, fortunately for me, I was able to get always part-time jobs. And I had an entirely different experience when I worked as a sales clerk, a waitress, a bookstore clerk, a tent company lady, a receptionist. Anything I worked at, I got positive feedback on because I had a great personality. And that personality dominates any of those menial jobs more than anything else. And I had, thank God, my mother's high energy. And so I got great reviews from anyone I worked with or for. And so I was able to see, oh, I'm good at that. Oh, I'm good at I, I can actually, uh, you know, to, uh, to get them to actually buy that new granny dress that's in style right now because I'm so enthusiastic about it. They actually bought it because of my enthusiasm. And so I started getting positive feedback. And then what I did is I consciously remember in my mid-20s declaring war on that ugly voice in my head because it would kick in when I was most scared. And the danger of that was... When you're most scared is when you have to walk forward. But for me, when I was most scared, the voice got loudest in my head. Like, why were you here? Why'd you come? This is mm -hmm. a stupid idea. You're not wanted here. You should go back. You know, you could be much better. There's a better use for your town. Who are these people? Anyway, all that kind of stuff. But what was it really doing? My voice it was protecting me from injury. So I had to learn that when I heard that voice, the only option I had was to go forward. Because by the going forward and having that bravery to go forward despite the voice, I felt good about myself after I walked forward. And it really wasn't important whether I succeeded or not in that task. It was important that I had the courage to walk forward. And so by enough of those 
walking steps forward. Walking steps forward became walking through doors that were challenging, became confronting um, you know, powerful people that I would have been intimidated by five years earlier, by having the confidence to just go and blow all the money before it came in by opening, expanding a new office when all logic said you're out of your mind. I got more and more confident to take chances on myself and my judgment because I was defeating that inner voice more and more often and getting my new voice to take over, which is, you're amazing. You're so charming. Oh, you're a winner. Oh, you can do that. <laughs> and eventually I started falling for my own bullshit, but it was good <laughs> because it was it was so needed to defeat that little girl, insecure girl in class who couldn't read out loud all the kids were laughing at her. You see? Yeah, it, I totally you can't see. Say it, it's, a, it's a directional change. It isn't. It's just a declaring of war on the little crap that gets you down. The little crap is what puts you down, never the big stuff. When the big stuff puts you down, it's because you allowed yourself to get weak by so much little crap you're ready for it. I I had a literary agent at one point who liked to advise, just act with confidence. And that's one of those Mm -hmm. things that I've kept with me for many, Mm -hmm. many years, that when I'm feeling unsure about taking a business chance, about spending some money to redevelop a website. I try to inform myself to just act with confidence because, you know, if you believe it, other people come around. I started the show by talking a little bit about the election, and I want to end it by talking with you about ambitious women. And we all know Hillary Clinton had a likability problem in the election. Mm-hmm. How do we, and and I I fall into this trap. I want to be liked. I want people to like me. My husband drives my husband crazy. He's like, why do you care? But I, I, I care. How do you balance the fact that you are a strong, somewhat aggressive woman in the workplace with wanting to be liked? Um, I think it, it, uh, it, to a degree, takes care of itself the more you like yourself. So the better I think of myself, the better the self-image, which has improved by the year, every year of my life, uh, to the point I'm going to be an arrogant son of a bitch. And nobody's going to like me. <laughs> nah. That for sure. Oh, yeah. Nah. Never know. Because nobody likes somebody who's in love with themselves. But I fall uh, for myself more uh, as I get older. Uh, because I'm spinning the positive versus the negative talk, right? But um, I think everyone likes to be liked. Uh, And I think women, maybe more so than men, but I don't know about that. I think everyone wants to be loved. It's such a human thing. We come out as babies, we need love, and that never changes. And what love turns into uh, when you go outside your home is likability. It's a version of love. It's like that horrible Sally Field memory of, oh, they love me, they yeah. love me. Remember that needy thing when she got the Oscar? Mm-hmm. Oh, they love me, they love me. Okay. But we're all like Sally Field up there. We just maybe aren't as um, honest about it. Um, I believe um, it's hard to accomplish anything when you're not liked. And frankly, I think... Um, it's probably a signal that you should move to another pond where somebody's going to like you. A lot of people uh, will slug it out, uh, particularly women more than men, I think, will slug it out in a work situation way longer than they should when they're not respected and liked. And I'm just not a believer in it. I think you got to redefine yourself, reinvent yourself, uh, just uh, look at yourself differently. And it's and when everybody's looking at you one way, it's hard for you to look at yourself differently. The, the majority rules, even on self esteem, I think. 
And so I think it's prudent for someone, if they're not treasured or liked, uh, to make a, a real assessment as to why not. Oh, yeah, how do you improve if you, if you can't honestly look at yourself in a mirror? But if you think you're worthy of love and likability, um, I think you have to find a town that appreciates you. You've got to move, move your horse over to a new town, so to speak, uh, to give you a shot. Uh, because if you're not liked in any situation, uh, you're not going to be surrounded by people pushing you ahead. And that's the truth. And it's a lonely club if you're the only one trying to like yourself and nobody else is liking you. So I think you have to find your like people. You know, uh, For me, um, I always found in my own business, building my own business, when I hired almost, almost 100% all females, and it wasn't that was my design, all my managers were females, my salespeople were females, we were a women company all the way, uh, you have to uh, deal with like-minded souls, I think, to succeed. Uh, if your family doesn't like you, you're miserable at home. If you don't like your husband, he doesn't like you, you have a miserable marriage. You need to find uh, a situation, uh, seek it out, uh, where you say, wow, this is nice. And I think people grossly underestimate in any business situation they seek out the importance of the people you work with. I think it's far more important for happiness and will determine your happiness a hundred times more than what your position is or what you actually do physically nine to five. I think who you work with determines happiness uh, tremendously. And if it's a corporate job, who your boss is will determine your happiness at least 75% of the time. So I think it's a very important choice to make. Barbara, thank you. Thank you so much. I think so much of what you advise about figuring out where you're happy in your work life in order to have a successful work life is something that we just don't think about enough on a day-to-day basis. And if you can find the right pond, of course, you're going to be able to swim to the top, so to speak. So thanks for spending a bit of time with me today. Appreciate it. Nice nice chatting with you, Jean. You too. Good work. Okay. Okay, bye-bye. And Kelly is sitting down with me now in the studio. Boy, I'm a little breathless from that last interview. She, uh, she's got a ton of information and a ton of energy. How are you? I feel like I haven't seen you. I haven't seen you. I was away for a couple of weeks. You were away. We haven't seen each other. We have not seen each other. You look the same. You look good. (laughs) Thank you. You Thank you. Not any paler since the last time you left? No. No, 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 not at all. Although we're all going to be getting paler with with this weather coming our way. How was your trip? My trip was amazing. My trip was amazing. I went... Um, my husband and I went to Israel and to Amsterdam, and Elliot had never been. We went with my cousins, Eileen and Steve, and we just saw everything from a graffiti tour to a culinary tour of the Shuk, which is the market Ooh. in Jerusalem, the best rogalach I've ever tasted in my life. And I didn't bring them back only because I was told they didn't particularly travel. Mm. But we had um, we had Shabbat dinner at the home of a family who lives right in the old city of Jerusalem where out on the deck you could just – you could see the Temple Mount. It wow. was – I mean it was – on, it was an unbelievable trip. We it had a, an amazing, like amazing time. We 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 visited um, the a kibbutz on the border of Lebanon. Wow. I have to tweet this picture I took of of a rainbow over Hezbollah. And it sounds amazing. It was. It was amazing. It was amazing. And then we spent two days in Amsterdam and um, just walked and walked and walked and walked. And if if you're going to Amsterdam in the near future, the the Van Gogh. That's how they say it. Van Gogh. Really. Museum was incredible. I mean, it, you know, it, 
I I went to college in the era when everybody had the Sunflowers poster or the Starry Night poster on their walls. And what you don't see in the posters is the way that his paintings jumped off the walls, that mm. the, the colors were just amazing and um more texture so much texture mm-hmm. so um so we're 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 new fans and and uh the Anne Frank house of course and and um I am yeah, very jealous so right now a a, uh, a whirlwind but it was a, it was a really wonderful trip well we're happy to have you back thank you thanks and we've got questions we have questions our first question comes from Katie she emailed us writing I am pregnant and looking at my dismal short-term disability benefits what are the ways to supplement income during maternity leave insurance other resources etc please help um yeah I feel you uh, my my short-term disability benefits when I had my first were not not incredible either look the the only way to supplement is by saving more beforehand I mean that's the sure way to do it is to figure out what you're gonna need and go through your current spending and see what you can do to put away more to tide you through that period. You can certainly also look at the other side of the equation. I mean, we talk a lot about saving more on this show, but the other way to work it is to earn a little more. And so if you've got a side hustle or if you've considered starting a side hustle, this is a really good time to do it. Um, Use the nine months of your pregnancy to... um, Figure out what you can do on the side to earn a little bit of extra money and and then make sure you put it away because nothing um, nothing that you could possibly want to buy mm-hmm. and I say this from experience, mm-hmm. but nothing that you could possibly want to buy is as valuable as having that additional time off with your newborn. One piece of advice I learned from you that I've been giving my girlfriends who are now getting pregnant, which is crazy to me, but also a great thing, is to, especially with their partners, is to shift to living on one income and saving the other income in the nine months. If you can do it. If you can do it. Yeah. And that's that's especially true for anybody who thinks that if you're going to transition after the baby comes so that one of you can stay home you will be essentially living on that one income anyway. And so doing it for the nine months before you have to do it gives you this huge additional savings cushion. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And on Twitter, Kara Gilger tweeted asking, what advice do you have if we contribute the max and still have money to save for retirement? We also max out our IRAs. Save it. Absolutely. Look, I am a big fan of saving more when you can save more. And the reason that I'm a big fan of that is because I know that life happens and other things will come along in later years and you'll want to have that additional money for something. There's no reason to spend money just for the sake of spending money. And so if you're looking at the fact that you've got these additional resources that you could put away, of course you should look at other ways to get some tax advantages out of them. And that might be an HSA. If you're not making an HSA contribution and you have a high deductible health plan, that can be a great supplemental retirement account. If you've got kids and you're thinking about putting some money away for college, that can be a great thing to do. But barring any of those opportunities, 
just put the money in an investment account. Put the money in a brokerage account and invest it with your risk tolerance and your timeline in mind. And know that you've already paid taxes on that money so you you know you're not going to have to pay income taxes when you pull it out of some retirement account you will at some point have a need for that money i i can pretty much promise you that and if you don't then somebody in your family will and so it doesn't make sense to me to look for reasons or occasions to spend money just for spending sake because they inevitably come along down the road. As we near the end of the year and if they have extra money to give, is that also a, you oh, know, a great sure. great way to spend it and also get a, a tax benefit from that as well? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the way to approach it because the end of the year is, is when charities come out of the woodwork and start asking mm-hmm. for money. I think you're better off sitting back and thinking with your spouse, if you have one, with your family about what do we want to support and then making a giving plan to have an impact in those areas rather than just saying, oh, well, I got a I got a solicitation from this organization and it sounds good, so mm-hmm. I'm going to send a check. I mean, that's a fine thing to do, but if you're looking to really make an impact, then Think about where you want to make that impact, how you're going to measure that impact, and and give according to those guidelines. Excellent. Thank you. Sure. Kelly, tell everybody how they can reach us if they have questions. Absolutely. We're on Twitter. We are on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, jeanchatsky.com. We have a podcast, Submit a Question Box. If you ask it, I will find it. And you can use the Her Money hashtag as well, hashtag Her Money Podcast. Thanks so much for your questions. Please keep them coming. We're going to turn a corner right now and talk about a little bit of news you can use to save you money on your prescription drug bills. That's the topic of this week's Thrive segment, and it's an important one because healthcare costs are running over $3 trillion a year. They've been increasing at well above the inflation rate. And last year, the folks at the Kaiser Family Foundation reported that 24% of patients, almost a quarter of patients, reported that they didn't fill a prescription in the past year because of cost. You all know that's a terrible idea. It just winds up costing you more in healthcare costs in the future because you tend to get sicker, and I'm not a doctor, but I know that this is a terrible idea. So here are four ways to think about reducing those prescription drug costs. First is to just pay with pre-tax dollars. If you put money in either a flexible spending account or a health savings account, you wind up paying for health care expenses with pre-tax dollars, which generally saves you about a third of the cost. That is huge. Now, there is a difference between these two accounts. With a flexible spending account, you only want to contribute the amount that you know you're going to use that year because it's use it or lose it money. The money in a health savings account will continue to sit there and grow until you use it. You can take it with you from job to job, even into retirement. Second, comparison shop for prescription drugs. According to Consumer Reports, only 17% of people do this. That number is not nearly high enough. And the differences in prices on prescription drugs can be striking. Number three, 
buy 90 days worth of your medications, not 30. Many generics are priced at $4 per prescription each 30 days, but only $10 for 90 days. Yes, that's a small difference, but if you're buying multiple prescriptions over time, it adds up. And finally, ask for help. If you can't afford your medication, the Partnership for Prescription Assistance, which you'll find online at pparx.com, it's a free service that can help you access your drugs. There are also a number of apps and discount cards that you can use, including Script Relief's Search Rx, Blink Health, and good rx okay quick review so if you want to lower your prescription costs you want to start by using a pre-tax benefit account like an fsa or an hsa you want to shop around like you do for anything else buy a 90-day supply of your medications not a 30-day and if you need help ask for it from the partnership for prescription assistance Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Barbara Corcoran, who is always fantastic. We hope you'll come back soon. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at iTunes. Leave us a review. We want to know what you think. We also, of course, want to thank our wonderful sponsor, Fidelity. Our music is provided by Track Tribe. Our show comes to you through PRX. And join me next week. We're going to have a terrific conversation as we head into this whole holiday shopping season with Kit Yarrow, who is a brilliant psychologist about the whole psychology of shopping. She's got a very interesting take on the phenomenon of why we buy what we buy. We'll talk soon. Breathe. Breathe.